Welcome to Robin Bussey and Church Online. My name is Brock. I'm the assistant pastor here. I'm so glad you've joined us today. We would love to know who you are if you're watching. We don't know if you've been watching every service or if this is your first time, but we'd love to journey in your walk of faith with you. It's a special day today. It's Palm Sunday. It's a great day. Also, we're going to have a service Friday morning at 10 o'clock here in the building if you want to come to that. And next Sunday is Easter. It's a great time. God bless you. Good to see you this morning. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. And I was thinking about how it's a time of joy because we know that there's an empty tomb coming. But when you think about it, six days from now, uh, Jesus would be crucified. And uh, Palm Sunday, of course, is the triumphal entry of Christ into, into Jerusalem. And it's quite, quite amazing to think of all the events that took place. We're going to have the choirs going to come up in a moment here, and we'll have some welcome time. But I felt to start our service just in a little bit of a prayerful way. Um, how many would say, you don't have to raise a hand, how many would say that you come into a service like this with some anxieties in your life? If so, just smile. Smile and wave. Uh, it's interesting that the Bible says... Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, and I think the key word there is in the Lord. It says, uh, do not be anxious about anything. And yet, what do you do with all these things that can cause us so much anxiety? It goes on to say, but instead of anxiety, uh, it says, come to the Lord. Prayers, petitions, supplications, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Are, uh, are we willing to allow God's peace to guard our hearts and minds by bringing our anxieties to Him with prayer, petition, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, anxieties and thanksgiving aren't usually the two words that we think of side by side. The other verse that came to my mind was James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2, that says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. And so then I was thinking, how many of us have trials that are in your life right now? Anybody have any trials? Last week, this coming week, um, right now, what would it be like if we were to practice the word today that says, consider, consider those trials, reckon those trials as pure joy, because it says you know that the testing of your faith produces, that God is actually in full-blown production in your life and in my life through those very trials that cause us lots of anxiety if we let them, right? And so I want to encourage you today to just say, Lord, I'm giving you my anxieties I'm giving you these trials, these storms, these hard things 
and I trust you, God, that you're able to take me through them. Amen? Why don't we do that right now? Let's just bow our heads, and uh, you just talk to God. And why don't you do that right now? Just give him that thing, whatever it is, whatever's on your heart, whatever anxieties, whatever storms are in your life, whatever trials. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to consider those very trials that you didn't ask for, you wish weren't there, but could you consider them pure joy because God is in production in your life? Heavenly Father, we love you today. On this Palm Sunday, we want to worship you especially because we have your word. We see what took place. And God, you went to the cross on our behalf and behalf of this world. But God, you didn't stay there. And because of the empty tomb, we too can have an empty tomb someday. And so God, we just want to cast... Help us to give our anxieties to you, oh God. And may you be lifted up in this place. So God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here. Whatever they're facing, I ask God that you would make the load lighter as we understand that you're doing something in the midst of it all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to worship with you. It's good to be here. Uh, it's interesting. Pastor Burke kind of stole my message with his prayer this morning, that I think God wants to do something today. How do, we, how do we stay on track and stay motivated in life? Life is wearying, and it, it hurts us. I don't know if you feel that right now, but I know you have in the past. I heard a quote this, this past week that has stuck with me. It's by Richard Rohr. Um, he said, any pain we do not transform, we will transmit. And I... Wow, that is, that is something. If we don't do something with the pain given to us, we will just pass it on. But we have the ability to change it. Um, and I, I think we know this to be true in our life. The hurts that we received, we, we tend to give to other people too. There is pain in our history, and there is pain in our future. Maybe you're in pain right now. And if we don't transform the pain, the scar, it, say, it stays tight. And it has that numb tenderness to it. Um, I have a, a scar on my finger. It's, it's a really small one, but I, I pinched it doing some wood. And there is a part of my finger now that has no nerves left. I feel nothing there. And right before it, there are a ton of nerves. And it's a very sensitive little spot. And that's what happens to our life, not with just physical pain, uh, but with all things. That we will numb ourselves to the pain we're trying to ignore. And it'll, it'll make us unreasonably tender about things. If we hide it in shame, it will only cause hurt. If we don't do the heart work to let God make use of it, we'll just hold on to it. So how do we, how do we deal with our pain? How do we transform it? We can look to Jesus. Uh, it says... In Luke 9, 51, when the, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem um, to suffer on our behalf. And 
I thought that was interesting. He set his face towards it. Uh, the NIV and New Living Translation say uh, he resolutely, resolutely set out. Uh, the New King James says he steadfastly set his face, uh, that he made a point of heading to the place of suffering. Uh, a few chapters later, it's, it's interesting, Luke's gospel from 9 to 19, I think, is Jesus' journey uh, to Jerusalem that Luke spends, I think it's 40% of his letter, talking about Jesus' week-long journey from this Sunday to next Sunday. Luke 13, 33, he said, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus knowingly headed towards his death. He didn't shrink away. He stepped up to the unavoidable. Uh, and it's interesting, he still prayed when he was in Gethsemane. Uh, there, there's room for us to wrestle in this journey with the pain and ask God, do I have to? Do, do we have to do this thing? It hurts and I don't like it. Is there any other way around it? And then he obeyed God. So Hebrews 12, uh, 2, at the start of the verse there, it says, looking to Jesus, that's what we're going to do today. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Uh, just a side note this morning, something struck me. Um, while he was being tortured, not, not after, while he was being tortured, he was forgiving them. What a, an odd thing to do. We don't have to wait for an, an apology to forgive someone. We don't need to wait for it to be over to start moving beyond bitterness and hurt. In the middle of our hurts, we don't need to, to hold on to it and deal with it later. On the cross, while they are hurting him and watching and mocking, he was asking God to forgive them, which is a, kind of a step beyond normal forgiveness of, well, I forgive them for what they've done to me. Jesus was already on God. Would you also forgive them? Don't let this come between you and them. That's a, a big step in, in so much pain, not just physical pain, but from the people who are meant to love him and follow him, who were called by his name. These are the ones that were hurting him and denied him. And he was already on to forgiving them. We don't have to wait for it to be over. We can be free of bitterness even while they still seek to harm us which I think is just a ridiculously powerful thing to do. That even when someone is trying to harm us, we can, we can already be free of the hurt. Not that Jesus was ignoring it, he wasn't avoiding it, acting like it wasn't there. He was fully present and somehow already moving on. And this isn't just a savior of the world thing that Jesus does and we say, wow, that's cool, thanks for doing that, Jesus. It's something that we are also to do, that Stephen did just a, a few, I think a month later. Uh, Stephen prayed for the people who were currently killing him. They were throwing rocks at him until he died, and he was praying, God, forgive them. So Jesus, it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he set himself towards Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. He knew the time and place of his death. He knew his fickle followers and friends would betray him. He knew of his torture, the rejection supreme of his chosen people. 
He knew it all was coming. And for the joy set before him, he endured it. Uh, friends and I were talking the other day about, uh, do you, do you want to know when you would die? You want to know how? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Jesus knew. And he still went through with it. I think some of us would say, I, I don't want to know because, you know, I might, I might shirk it off and try and prevent it. And I'd rather live in the, the bliss of ignorance and just carry on and be happy now. Uh, but Jesus had a joy in front of him that made the cross a worthy speed bump, if you could minimize it so greatly. So our response. Uh, I heard a, a pastor the other day that say that maturity is the ability to hold multiple emotions at once and not let the latest one drive us. Our appropriate response is to joyfully follow Jesus. Uh, we were hanging out after youth group. We were talking about the details of heaven, as, as one does, theorizing, because it's, it's fun to do. What's, what's heaven going to be like? And we were dreaming. What, what will it be like? And we were talking about our memories, because uh, I'm sure you can relate that we don't remember everything. Uh, I forgot I had an appointment this past Monday afternoon, and I, I just missed it. It was on the calendar. I forgot to look at the calendar. And I, I forgot. I don't remember most of when I was three years old. I don't, I don't remember it. Uh, in heaven, will we remember things? I think so. Um, and we were discussing you know, the, the human brain. It, it has limitations. And they say there's a limit to how much data our brain could store. And I, I think all of that will be easily overcome in heaven. But uh, this same pastor who was talking about maturity being the ability to hold on to multiple emotions at once, they had found this study and that said that our capacity to experience joy is part of our brain that never has to stop growing. Um, as a, a male older than 24 years old, my ability uh, to determine what's wise is fully developed, and that's why I don't jump off roofs anymore. Um, that, that is done growing, so I'm potentially as wise as I'll ever get, and I'll just keep getting more experience now. And that's another roof not to jump off of. But my ability to experience joy could continue to grow for the rest of my life. And so can yours. There, there's only so much trouble in the world. And it, it's exciting to think that the, the scale of trouble and happiness, we can just keep piling on more happiness and more joy in our life. We can continue to experience more and more. Because I, I know the troubles keep getting worse. The things that ruined Scotia's day, my one-year-old daughter, are fairly small compared to the troubles of life. There are a fair number of troubles in life. But that, that plate can only be so big of how much trouble the world can throw at us. And our buffet of joy is endless. We never have to be full. So Jesus... For the joy set before him endured the terrible weekend that was the crucifixion. I, I think it's, uh, we often picture children as the, uh, the image of joy, which uh, is fairly accurate. The, the joy they feel is so pure, complete, uh, but I think small, but... Uh, the joy my daughter feels and squeals when I push her on the swing, it's, 
she's got a lot of joy in there. Um, it's pretty convincing. But she has such a small capacity to take things in stride. She is easily distracted from her joy. And uh, it, it can overwhelm her. She's got these really little teeth right now. And it's sadly cute. Her teeth are so small and sharp, she can cut her lip just by smiling the wrong way. Man, that, that hurts. No one likes a split lip, right? And it's just a little scratch. It's kind of alarming, though, that she'll be walking around and suddenly she's got a bloody lip. And what would you do, kid? And she, <laughs> that's all she can experience when she cuts her lip. It doesn't matter if we were eating ice cream. She now has a cut lip, and that is the only thing she can experience. It takes over her whole world. Uh, a free aside, this is my year of experience as a parent, not years. Um, but I think the purpose of parenting is to teach our children healthy coping mechanisms to deal with life. Because life, life has problems, and we're trying to teach them how to deal. And I think that's the main skill we're passing on to our children. That was just an aside. Anyway. We must continue to grow and take life in stride with joy. Not ignoring it, because that quote from Richard Rohr, any pain we do not transform, we will transmit. There will be pain, but we don't need to be overwhelmed by it, like my daughter is. Her capacity to experience joy, her maturity of being able to hold on to more than one emotion at once is just too small, and she needs skills to deal with that. We need to grow in our ability to hold on to joy in the pain and not ignore it. We can grow our capacity to experience reality, that God is with us. And I think there are these sweet times that we are super aware of God's presence and his attitudes towards us. Uh, maybe like this morning, it was, a, it was a special time of worship. God is with us. He has defeated our brokenness and he will rescue the world. And that's what they were shouting on this day all those years ago. Hosanna. Is that God saves. God rescues. Right before they killed God. Life is hard. We get sick and money is tight and people have drama. I think that covers most of the world's problems, right? Um, I don't feel good. I don't have enough. And they're a problem. If all those things were fixed, there, there wouldn't be many problems left in the world. And we, we feel those. And I, I don't think any of those problems are going to go away. But we could have an overwhelming sense of joy. That we could experience both. That we could transform the pain and not let it overwhelm us. We need to feel both things. We need to feel the pain and experience it. But, but there is joy. If you have to take your bitter medicine, you might as well have some sugar too, right? And I, I realized uh, this morning, we're, I've been in one of those bands, the small group that John Wesley started. He didn't start mine, but uh, we, we follow his questions. There are four questions. Number one, how was your week? Uh, we've kind of added that one, stretched it, because... The, the original question is, how are you? How is your soul? And we found we could share how my soul is 
and we couldn't hear that really funny story or that important event if we only talked about our soul. So we ask, how was your week? What, what happened? And then tell me how you're doing in that. Question number three is, what are you learning about God in, in Scripture, in sermons, in prayer, in life? What's God teaching you? And number four, how is your relationship with God? And I realize that these four questions encourage us to experience the pain in the joy, the joy in the pain, and mix it together. And I would encourage you to start meeting up with some friends, some family, and ask them these questions on the regular. It will encourage you and them both. You will grow. We must follow Jesus. It's not that you must. We must. It's a together, a togetherness. We can't do it alone. And we can do it with more and more joy. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in how somber and wonderful his sacrifice was that we can forget why he did it. That we, we can't feel that much, that many. But he came to rescue us from our solitude, from our sin. And uh, maybe, maybe you've heard them preachers talk about repentance, that it's uh, you're headed one way and you turn and head the other. But repentance in Scripture is more than just a word study that it means to turn around. It's turning to someone. So let's be like Jesus and resolutely set our face through whatever pain is in front of us, but towards him, that we would seek him unwaveringly. We're not trying hard to please God and muster up some more efforts. We're responding to his greatness. We're being filled with his love and his grace that straightens us and mends us and purifies our mindsets, our motives, and our interactions. Faith leads to deeds, right? That's what James taught that thing that Pastor Bert started with, consider it pure joy. Faith leads to deeds. Faith is a trust, a relationship, and that will lead to an outflow. So we're trying to turn our faces to God and respond to all of his greatness. How do we do this when it's hard and long and slow? How do we weather the pain that's coming? Uh, I used to think myself a very self-controlled, disciplined person, uh, and I found I am not disciplined enough to overcome life. I can't try hard enough, long enough to overcome. Discipline is a great tool uh, for continuing down the smooth old path to carry on. Um, I find discipline is not great at breaking new ground, at gaining fresh healing, so how do we continue in the new good steps that God has for us? Last week, uh, Celebrate Recovery did a, a special service here with us. And they have these powerful steps that are based on Jesus' teaching from the Beatitudes, and Jesus lived them. But step one is that we admit that we are powerless, that I, I can't do it, that my life is unmanageable. God, there is too much pain, and I am not a happy enough person to balance this out. I'm not self-controlled enough. God, would you come and fill me? And that's the whole plan, is that we would be filled with God. 
Step two is that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us, which is the gospel. God can rescue us. Step one is knowing that I need help. Step two is knowing that God can help. Step three is we made a decision to turn our lives and wills over to the care of God. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. He said, God, I, I don't want to. This is more than I want to bear. Is there any other way? Because God, you can, you can do everything. So would you come help me, God? And then he trusted his father. Jesus did these. He wasn't powerless, but he limited his power, which is an interesting idea that I think sometimes we can forget that love and unity requires limits. That we limit ourselves for the sake of unity, for the sake of obedience. He trusted that God had a good plan through his pain, and he obeyed. Interesting, too, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who is God, who created all things by the word, which he is, did all of this with community, with friends. Jesus said, this is going to be a rough night, so you guys, will you come with me? Will you be with me? I don't know if you've ever been asked to do that, to be with someone. Uh, the disciples don't look like they were very experienced because they said, hey, will you, will you pray with me? And they fell asleep. Like, I don't think they had coffee, but they, they could have done something. I don't know. Brought some chips. We do this walk in community. Life is hard, Jesus. He said in John 16, 33, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Which, that's, that's a cool verse, but it means more than just that he did it. He overcame it, and we can follow him in overcoming it too. That we don't have to be overcome by the world. We're going to have problems. Woohoo! Not, not very exciting, but we can experience joy in them. We don't have to wait till it's over to get healed, which is kind of like a superpower, like when the hero can get punched and he is hurt and he's all better by the time he stands back up. That's, that's really cool. People offended Jesus on the cross, and before the day was over, he was already past that. Not because he ignored it or great, glossed over it quickly. I think he had a lot of time to think on the cross, in the pain. And the primary place that God wants to bring his kingdom is in our hearts, our minds, our mouths, our hands. He already tried the thing where he had a perfect world and put people in it who weren't even bad. And they couldn't do it. There wasn't, there wasn't enough of him in the people. So God's primary goal right now isn't fixing the dirt so there's no more thorns and thistles or mosquitoes. His primary goal is to heal our hearts, to make us whole. That when we are filled with God, when we're fully, actively, and wholly surrendered to his plan and pursue it, then the world will begin to change around us to be as it's supposed to be because our faith will flow out into deeds. I can usually tell, I think, uh, and maybe you can too, when we're, when we're a little dry and we want to just try a little harder, because that's comfortable. Uh, I find when I'm 
filled with God and he asks me to do a new thing, it, it's a different kind of hard. It's not a, I better pull up my own bootstraps and try this. It's a, a kind of tenderness. Like, you know, when that feeling when you got your cast off and you have all that fresh skin underneath that's never seen any work and it's all tender and sensitive. I think that's the feeling of when God wants us to step out in a new way, that we're so full of faith and trust and wholeness, and now there's this new stepping out. The key to all of this is our hearts. In this world, you will have trouble, and the world is in trouble, and it will continue to be proportional to the lack of God's presence in the people in the world. So our hope it's, it's Jesus, now and forever. Jesus is here, right now. And we are exiles. I don't know if you feel like that. Um, I've never heard someone say, where, where are you from? I've never heard anyone say heaven. That's where I'm from. I have a citizenship there. That's where I'm going. I'm just, just passing through. I'll be here for a little bit. Uh, but First Peter uh, it starts in 11 that he said that we are exiles, sojourners, travelers. And I think sometimes we can be here in greater Napanee long enough that it feels like this is home. But we are exiles and we're free. We're not, we're not from here, which is a very freeing thing. Uh, I used to live in South Korea and there was this wonderful... Uh, tolerance of foreigners because we don't understand how they do stuff that we say things wrong we do things wrong i don't know the you know there's a proper way to fold your hands and which thumb goes on top for when you bow i didn't know i often bowed like a girl apparently i had my left thumb on top of my right which is what ladies do and i i didn't know i did it wrong and nobody corrected me nobody cared because i i wasn't from there Interesting. I wonder if we sometimes are too comfortable being Canadian and too foreign to being heavenly. That we don't know what that's like. We are sojourners. Peter said that we are free. In verse 16, that we should live as people who are free. Not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, for self-seeking things but living as servants of God. And this is terribly ironic. He said, you're free, you're a servant. Uh, servant in the Bible is the same word as slave. You're a free slave. What? <laughs> Which is it, Peter? Am I free to do what I want? Well, yeah, but you're a slave to God. So who do, who do I live for? We are free from people. And we are servants of God. Repentance, it's not an apology and a try-harder. It's a sensitizing to his leading. It's not more effort or abandoning control, but a softer grip, more tender to his direction. Uh, I got to use one of those fancy new, almost self-driving cars the other day. It has adaptive cruise control, so when I come up behind a transport, it slows down for me. Interesting. And then it has cameras in the car that can see the lines on the highway. 
And if I wanted to change lanes without putting on my blinker, it would steer me back into the center of the lane. And I, I usually style myself a little bit of a Formula One driver on the 401, that like I'll start wide and dive in, in the lane, you know? But like, you, you gotta hug the inside of the corner and the car wouldn't let me do it. It, it wanted me to be right in the middle. And I, I could power over it uh, and just muscle my way past the little assist, they call it, a driving assist, where you have your feet off the pedals and don't have to steer anymore. It's quite the assistant. I'd, I'd take one of those. Uh, but that's what God wants to be. And I've noticed in the things that I'm trying to grow in, uh, I'll override God's nudging and leading. And I think the key is to say, God, no, please, please keep doing that. I don't want to become numb to this new area that I just got freed. God, would you keep speaking to me? Keep leading me. Keep nudging me to the center. So Jesus, he set his face towards his problems because of the joy set before him. The joy wasn't that his work would be done and he could retire. That was not the joy that he was talking about, which, you know, is nice. Retirement will be good someday, but that's not what Jesus was excited about one last day. The joy that was before him was relationship with us. So let's be like him. Let's look to him. Let's make our relationship with him our prize, our reward. Most of us don't know the hard stuff that's ahead of us. Don't let the sad surprises of life discourage you, though. Be with God and look forward to it. Our home is in heaven. It, I've had the struggle, privilege, of moving many times in my life. And uh, it's, it's curious what makes a new space home. Uh, my wife has a very simple metric. She has this wind chime that she got the year we got married from her mom. And whenever it gets hung on the wall, that is now home. Um, I didn't notice we had it for six years. <laughs> it, it didn't make it home for me. We had moved seven years maybe. We had moved here uh, and into our house and she hung it on the wall in the kitchen and I bumped into it one day and I said, oh, when did we get this? <laughs> she has had it in every house, every apartment we have ever lived in, like days after we move in, because that's what makes it home. So the wind chime is there. It's interesting. I, I've, I like uh, a good armchair, and I've had quite a few. Uh, I once carried one two kilometers because a friend was getting rid of their amazing leather armchair, and they just wanted me, I think they paid me $10 to carry it down their apartment stairs for them. And I thought, well, I'm not going to just leave this here to get thrown out. I'm going to carry this home. Down, it was down one mountain in Korea and up another. Um, it, was, it was a long, heavy walk, and I loved that chair, and then we left it, and we left it in Korea, and I got a chair in New Brunswick, and we left that one there, and I've got another new chair here, and it's not the chair that makes it home, um, but our home, it always tends to be the same. We have too much stuff in a small space, and it, we call it cozy. Uh, um, but all of our homes we've ever lived in 
tend to look the same. Interesting. Uh, I always end up growing trees, and they never, I'm never there long enough to see them have any fruit. So I don't know if I'm a bad gardener or if it's just not enough time, but I'm happy in the ignorance. Uh, we keep our house really cold all year long. Uh, in Korea, it would be 35 degrees outside and 18 inside, because I like wearing sweaters, and you can't wear a sweater in 35 degrees. <laughs> we, in my house, we cook a lot. Um, we watch movies. We, we don't watch sports. I've never had a sports package. We don't have cable. I don't really know how to watch sports, but we watch a lot of movies, sometimes three in a day. That's, that's my house. It's my home here. Uh, but God wants to show us what home will be like in heaven. Heaven is a really big place. I don't know if you've ever done the math on the dimensions of it, but I think, if I remember right, it's about the new Jerusalem that will come out of heaven and make heaven on earth. It's made out of gold, which means it's going to last a while. Like, gold doesn't rot. Uh, and the one edge of the city would be big enough to run from Toronto to Montreal. That's a long drive. Can you imagine the traffic? Like, if you live in West Heaven and you've got a friend in the East, and like, that's, that's a long drive. And say you want to go to the north side, it's another, like, five or 600 kilometers north. And there are that many floors. Like, I, I've done my share, fair share of floors. Uh, we had a friend that we went to their house for Bible study. They were on the 21st floor. And I thought, one day, it'll be fun. Why don't we take the stairs? <laughs> It was a bad choice. Um, but that, that was only a couple dozen floors. Heaven is 600 kilometers high, if it's literal. It's going to be a big place. What in the world are you going to do there? Do you have any sense? Because I know when I was a kid, when we were going somewhere, I would pester my parents and say, so what, what are we going to do? Like the, the cottage we're going to, uh, we, we go to Nova Scotia a lot. And we'd say, like, is, is there a beach? Is it in town? Is it out of town? What are we going to do when we get there? Um, and I always, we go to the beach, and it's the Atlantic, so it's not warm. So we would just play in the sand and make crazy big sand castles. And that was my fun. And I would start getting excited for it. It, it was a 24-hour drive. It was a long time in a car for a little kid. And I'd start being excited about it long before we got there. What are you going to do in heaven? There's going to be a lot of people, lots to do, lots to create, lots of time. Are you, are you going to sing? Are you a singer? Is that your thing? Um, maybe that'll be just awesome for you. Or maybe you write, and you can create new stories, new songs, new ideas to encourage, inspire. Maybe you're a, a storyteller, um, I'm pretty sure my dad is just going to find a large living room up there and tell stories indefinitely. If you ever ask him to tell a story, you might as well sit down. He's got lots, and he's good at it. What are you going to do in heaven? Because it's going to be amazing, and that's it's where you're going, and it's where you're from, kind of. But we're going to be there forever and ever and ever. Are you going to plan things? Are you a builder, a creator? Like, there's going to be some major infrastructure needs there in a city that big, that dense. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured 
from such from sinners such hostility against himself so that you too may not grow weary or faint-hearted jesus is there and that's what makes it home he is the wind chime on the wall so to speak that because he is there that's what home is that's where we are headed so we are kind of home now and we will be much more at home there consider him what will you do with him forever let your heart dream let it be free so when all the world has all the problems that it throws at you, you can say, yeah, this is a pretty rough day, but I'm headed there. It's good to hope. It's good to hold on to more than one thing. Have you ever asked somebody, hey, how, how you doing? And they say, oh, pretty good. And then you're talking and you find out their parents are sick and their dog died and they lost their job. And I thought you said you were good. Well, yeah, it's, I'm doing pretty good right now. I just had a really good coffee. It's not, it's not raining. Like, wow, we are very complex people. And I would like to add to your complexity a foundation of joy, of happiness, that the world can't take or shake or mess up. That God is with me right now, and he's freed me, and he loves me, so I am free. Come at me, world. Do whatever you want. I am free, and I'm going to be with him forever. Find more ways to include God in your life more and deeper. I think the choir is going to come up and do a closing song. Do the kids know? Great. Focus on him. The most practical advice I can give to you as we close is to include him more and more in your, in your conversations, in your talking. It seems like whatever we talk about, it seems to be the, the biggest emotion that we're experiencing. Do you ever find that? You can kind of forget about the thing you don't talk about. Um, he is good for you. So I'd encourage you, real practical, if you want to experience this steadfastness more, talk about God more. Talk to him more, talk about him more, include him in more things. Ask those questions with a friend. How was your week? How are you doing? What are you learning about God? How's your relationship with him? Because we repent towards him and we will be with him forever what do you long to do with him for him put, let's put our hope in his presence